It's good to see your face. I can't believe it's been a whole week. It's weird. Well, I mean, it's been closer to two, right? Yeah, it has. Yeah, because because right. uh, we would have yeah. recorded. Uh, it's been two weeks since we did an episode together. So yeah, so we would have been oh almost goodness, exactly yeah. two weeks ago. I think I just it's just become part of my routine these days. And then so to, you know, have to take a step back with all the, the health shenanigans. It was kind of like weird. I felt this gap last week. I was like, what am I supposed to be doing today? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Well, it's interesting because <laughs> I was talking to um, I'm going to actually just kind of dial back my levels here a little bit on my side because I can see the volume looks like it's maybe peaking. OK, I'm going to try recording mm-hmm. around there. That looks a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about, um, uh, shoot, remind me what you were just talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh my goodness. Okay. So, uh, we were just, (laughs) this is classic. Uh, I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lane. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey lost my train of thought like all day long um and that i was going to tell you about something else that's completely oh about unrelated. not recording it about routines okay so i was yes, saying that like um because because this friend also has adhd and we were talking a little bit about kind of like um scheduling and figuring out making time and routines and blah 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 and i was saying that i've really improved at kind of like scheduling the one shots and like not forgetting about appointments but I still haven't really kind of scheduled my days in a way where it's like okay uh wake up at seven eight o'clock I start working and from this time to this time I'm working on this task for this business uh Mm -hmm. you know this time I eat then afterwards I like check email or blah 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 um and I'm just kind of like because what what I realized is that part of what we were talking about with like having bit off too much um, mm-hmm. is that it's not necessarily biting off too much, but it's trying to bite off too many things that are on like an arbitrary time bound schedule for like no other reason than kind of like the choice to try and do that. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. that is the pressure of keeping the kind of hose of content going and the pressure of social media to feel like you're always producing and rightfully so that the algorithms prioritize people who are consistent you're going to get more traction not even just algorithm wise but just in terms of audiences like it when you know every tuesday Mm -hmm. at 1 p.m you know you're going to get a new thing from this person like that's great to know but Mm -hmm. what i'm recognizing for myself is that to do all of the different things that i'm interested in doing it doesn't mean that I'm like, I can't do those things because I'm spreading my time in too, too thin or whatever, but I just kind of have to do it more like chunking it and be like, okay, let's bite off a project in this sphere, something that's scoped out and has like an end or a finality to it. And then mm. not really set a deadline, but you still have a way of knowing when it's kind of completed and it's kind of ready to go out. And um, that kind of works more in the way of like, I know what the tasks are involved in kind of bringing that project to completion and then kind of Mm. I can work more in kind of where my energy is on any given day and be like, okay, like today I know I was, you know, wanting to do this writing, but my brain's just not there. So, Mm -hmm. but can I put on some music and take pictures and measure stuff all day and have a productive day doing that work that needs to be done, but isn't what I was planning on doing? And it's like, yeah. And so maybe that's kind of more how I'm trying to set things up for myself is just like working within the flow of my own energy. But then Mm -hmm. um, the corollary to that is that the only remaining kind of like time bound commitments I have are things with other people involved. So doing this show once a week Mm -hmm. with you. um, But again, that's an arbitrary choice that we've made to do once a week. We skipped a week. Mm -hmm. The listens kept going up. We nothing fucking happened. Like, (laughs) um, so yeah so 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 that's good but again that's um i recognize that the consistency would be the thing that mm. like you know 
ultimately decides for a lot of people who the winners and losers are in this kind of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah. But what I, what I push back with against, sorry, with mm-hmm. um, that um, thinking is that the sort of neurotypical way of doing things is that consistency is, you know, yes. King or queen. And the, my ADHD brain um, and neurodivergent brains in general don't necessarily work that way. And we need to work with exactly like what you were saying with where our energies are. Yeah. And if our energies are not in our, you know, social media admin um, place, um, then uh, it can be really, really hard. And and I'm really aware right now that I haven't been posting much on social media on any of my personal accounts because I need space. I it's been a year of living in a pandemic. Our brains collectively have been on high alert. Our nervous systems have been on high alert for a year. And as a species, mm-hmm. as human beings, we're not designed for that. And so I'm hearing people who are professional journalists who've been interviewing people, people like Krista Tippett, in interviews with people saying, I cannot maintain my train of thought. She interviewed this amazing psychologist last week, uh, Christine Runyon, who talked about exactly why that is. It's because Mm. our nervous systems have been on high alert for a year. We've not had time for our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calming place where we come from, where we can do a lot of creative work, when we're much more able to just kind of digest and settle down. Mm-hmm. Um, collectively, we haven't had access to that because every time we turn around, there's something else. And and so when we're talking about uh, trying to be consistent in a world that kind of commands consistency, when we're also living through, you know, a collective um, long emergency that, you know, we don't know what is going to happen. There's so much uncertainty. I think it's really unreasonable to have this expectation of people that they will continue to be consistent, particularly with our, in my ADHD brain, which is consistently inconsistent. And, um, and I know it's, uh, yeah, when, when it comes to social media, that just feels so arbitrary you know, like, it's just like, this is the way it must be done. You must serve the algorithm. You must publish every day at 7 a.m. or no right. one's going to see anything and we're going to shadow ban you forever. And I just feel like, ah, it just, um, as somebody who's worked in that, who's, you know, done the marketing thing, who understands why it needs to be that way, I also want to challenge it. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, for our own well-being, uh, you know, for my own well-being, it was really important for me after um, going through some dental trauma last year and then having that come up again this year to not force myself to do more than I could. Like right. I really had to step back. Uh, it doesn't mean that I didn't lurk. Of course, I lurked a little bit and, you know, checked out what was happening and got upset about um, events in the world. But, um, yeah, I feel... You know, especially with this project, what I love about it is that we do have this, you know, let's meet for a week and let's do this. We're both really enjoying it. We're learning a lot in the process. Mm-hmm. But then last week to discover, hey, it's okay to step back for a week and take care of ourselves or to take care and have the space. And I loved um, that somebody called in. Yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> right? Like, and that was like, oh, great. So then there's something that we can share with folks is to, mm-hmm. you know, so that it's not uh, just totally not showing up, but. Um, I know we were going to be talking about like spatial, spatial awareness and, and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I really appreciate you talking about that because, you know, professionally, um, I feel like you can be professional and be creative and add value to the world, but you don't, you don't have to be robotic about it. Yeah. And that's, again, that's, I'm trying to think of this stuff more in terms of like, I feel like there was a certain point where maybe about five years ago where uh, it became a little bit more common to have podcasts coming out in quote seasons where you would drop Mm. a a six to 12 episode season of a show all at once instead of spacing it out week by week. Um, And that's Mm. kind of, I guess, like maybe the streaming model, uh, like the on demand TV model kind of like Mm. rehoming itself slightly. But that's kind of how I'm trying to think more of these things is not... I need to do a newsletter every week. I need to do a podcast every week. I need to list some new items on my store every week. But just like, okay, I have a bunch of, of you know, like 
military surplus coats. I've got, say I've got two dozen different field jackets and blah, blah, blah. So mm. I want to like get a bunch of, I want to sell these things, get them out of my house. I want to like <laughs> shoot some content for my like styling blog and do some writing or whatever. And so like, let's group all of these things together and kind of like recycle mm. that evergreen content like you were talking about. Mm. But just again, instead of saying like, okay, I need to do this thing on this date. It's like, I want to do thing X, Y, and Z. And then when all three of those things are done, this thing goes out and it's done and I can move on to the mm. next thing and not be kind of like bound to feeling like I need to produce on a schedule. Because again, that's just that, that that's us trying to play the game of, a world that's not geared for us. So yes, yeah, that, and that's exactly um, one of the books that I've been listening to that I want to get the hard copy of is uh, Jorana Nuremberg's book, um, Divergent Mind: uh, Learning How to Thrive in a World That Wasn't Designed for You. Mm. Um, and so it is aimed at folks with ADHD, um, folks on the autism spectrum, uh, people with dyspraxia, uh, dyslexia, and sorry, what's dyspraxia? Um, that is, I think it's more of a spatial thing and I have to oh, look okay. it up because I'm not sure I have my mind completely around <laughs> sure. it because I was trying to go, do I have that too? Like, cause I was listening mm. to the book. Um, but I think it's, it has a lot to do with uh, sensory processing, um, and, uh, touch and mm. uh, smell. Um, and because I know I'm a very, I am a highly sensitive person. So, uh, in addition to the ADHD, I got really, Alarmed by loud sounds, by smells, um, textures, and this is common ADHD right. folks like tags and clothing. Totally. Like, yeah, you can't get anything done if there's a tag that is just scratching against the back of your neck or whatever. I always have to buy things that don't have to be careful about that. Um, anyway, um, yeah, the uh, systems that have been set up to favor uh, typical brains and um, typically white male brains mm-hmm. <laughs> um, don't necessarily favor. Uh, fo- people and folks like us who who are incredibly creative, incredibly capable, um, and can be very reliable and, and consistent to a point in the right systems. Um, but I think if the systems are set up, yeah, where you just kind of have to be in this kind of grind. I hate grind culture so much. Um, and I think that, that you're making such a good point that you can you can, in a really creative burst of energy, you know, make all this content that's going to help um, get get the clothes out the door, get the, you know, the jackets like out of your space so you can create more room yeah. um, and do that when you're in the mood for it. Not when, not when you, you know, Instagram tells you you have to do it or whatever. Um, I think that that's a much more fluid and juicy way to create than, than instead of like insisting of yourself that you do it, you know, totally. in a grind way. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's mm-hmm. kind of one or the other that I, I could be very consistent about things, but I would have to limit the scope of what I want to do. Um, I think if you are a person who the, the kind of people who have a lot of different projects that are also like there, there's a consistent output or a time bound thing are the kind of people who are on the level that they have staff. So like mm. would I love to be there where it's like, oh, hey, I have this idea. I'm going to like, you know, conceptualize this thing and then like but somebody else is doing the photography, the post-processing, the socials, blah, blah, blah. Somebody mm. else is like um, doing all the editing from this. The, like I, I just show up and talk and somebody else does all the editing and post-processing for this show, um, the promotion for that, my other show, all these other kinds of things. Like mm. I would love to be able to do five different things weekly and I could if I wasn't doing, you know, like most of the labor on all of them or like half of the labor on some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you you are just one person, right? And you exactly. also need to uh, have downtime and get outside and, you know, talk to friends and family mm-hmm. and connect with yourself outside of just constantly producing. Totally. Um, and that's, yeah, the the thing that I've really been thinking about a lot. And I'm, I may be scattering myself by... Um, reading and listening to as many things as I do. It's just that, that I guess that's just where I'm at right now. But I've, I started following uh, Devin Price on Twitter a while ago, and they wrote a book called Laziness Does Not Exist. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, why can't I remember her name right now? Leanne mentioned that one, right? Um, yes, I think the two of us did, did talk about that one briefly. And um, so I... 
I had a free trial on script, which just expired, so I mm. didn't get to finish the whole thing because I kept forgetting <laughs> about it, which is classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really appreciated what uh, Devin had to say, too, about just this this feeling that if you're not in constant service of something and constantly producing something, constantly adding value, that you're lazy and flawed. Mm. And she she traces it all the way back to the to the Puritans and the colonized uh sure. you know, Turtle Island, North America, and like how they they out of their sense of fear and weird, bizarre piousness, like it got integrated into Western culture that if you're not um, you know, working in a factory doing things like that are serving the industry and the capitalist <laughs> good that you are evil. Like they actually, mm-hmm. you know, labeled people as like slothful, wicked. evil and wicked, you know, um, and there's so many different ways that, uh, that they go into that. But I just, that, that really resonated for me too, as somebody who has often struggled with uh, the nine to five kind of culture, um, even though I have worked within it to some extent, I, whenever I tried to, I would either be um, working 12, 14 hours and, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of on fire or sick. Yeah. Like my body would just shut down. It, it would just like have enough. Um, and so whenever I tried to actually set a boundary too, depending on um, the folks that I was working with and what their kind of work culture was, then that would sort of, that would be frowned upon mm. in, in, in that kind of um that capitalist puritanical <laughs> nonprofit industrial complex culture where it's just like, yeah, man, but it's, you know, it's for a good cause. So you have to leave everything on the table and do everything you possibly can to, you know, in service of raising funds or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Right. So I don't know. I, I just always get on a bit of a soapbox about this because it's just such a flawed way to treat human beings. We're not meant for that. Yep. Yeah. You know, like we're just, we're not, we're not designed to be, um, constantly uh outputting and and they're saying now too like a lot of white collar workers this is the this is when the burnout's hitting them yes i saw that headline but i haven't actually read that piece yet yeah i think that was a story in the globe and mail and um i'm out of the globe and mail right now because of bell media so i haven't read it but <laughs> um <laughs> i'm sure it's a really well written article and i'm sure it's excellent but yeah it's just the idea that uh it that so many people are burned out right now Brene Brown mm-hmm. was talking about that the other day. She's like, I'm so burned out. And she has like so many resources. She has, like you were saying, yeah. assistants and people that do all this stuff. And and she can barely manage. Uh, and and she's doing work that she loves. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, I know it's a really tough time. A lot of people I know are really struggling right now, especially people that yeah. um, have continued to work consistently throughout it. A friend of mine is just taking the first five days off that she's taken for the whole Holy pandemic. shit, wow. Yeah, I mean that's you sh- like <laughs> I don't know how she's crazy. managed. Yeah, and she has a side business on top of uh, her full time job. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that that's it's. I wish there was. I mean, I know there's ways to do this. I know the community care is at the core mm-hmm. of it. I know it. I believe that in my heart. I've always have. I, it's one of the things that I used to get so excited about. Um, uh, um, well, crowdsourcing, right? Like mm. our former employer, like mm-hmm. they, they were the, the, that was the beginning of that, sure. like crowdsourcing content and, and putting the community first and letting them decide how they want things to go instead of this kind of top-down business that we're dealing with now that's burning people out and um, leaving just a, a trail of broken human beings in the process, right? Uh, so, yeah, I don't have too much more to say about it other than I just think that there's, I know there's possibility and I see it. I see people doing it. I see people like the black fairy godmother on Instagram and what she's doing in the United States. Just, it just warms my heart. Like she raises money every single day for people in crisis. Oh, wow. No, I've never heard of this person. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm I'm not going to remember her full name, but she, she, Every single day posts about somebody who needs groceries, rent money, mm. somebody escaping domestic violence, somebody who's behind on their light bill. Right. And those things get fulfilled every yeah. single time. And nice. I just get goosebumps thinking about it because she herself came from that place and somebody gave her a leg up and helped her out. And so yeah. she's decided to to make a go of doing that. And she's also, you know, a single parent. She's in school. She's doing all these things. And and that to me is like the kind of community care that 
um, is the future in a way, although I, I do still believe that governments hold some responsibility to take care of their citizens. I feel like we've been pretty fortunate here in Canada to have support throughout the pandemic for those that needed it. It hasn't been enough, but it's still something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, I feel like leaving people out um, without, like, without anything to eat, it's just so, uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about, like, spatial awareness, but, you know, like, where I live in Kitsilano is just top of mind for me right now because the city has a parcel of land. They are planning to build... Um, uh, housing for folks right. coming out of homelessness on. And it's this incredible controversy for these um, NIMBYs. And for those that don't know what NIMBY is, it's not in my backyard. And I'm a YIMBY. I'm a yes in my backyard. <laughs> um, and it's it's just not that astonishing to me that people that are sitting on like these multi-million dollar homes um, don't want anything to disrupt their comfort. Um, you know, when they're saying it's about the children and this and that and the other thing. It's not. It's because they believe that people who are without houses are somehow personally responsible and morally responsible and criminally responsible for their lack of resources. Right. And it just enrages me because I'm like, it's it's so simple. It's just so simple. Just give them a house. And it's, uh, yeah, I just get so upset about it because, I mean, I think that it's, the neighborhood is evenly split. Like, mm. because there's... Um, where I live, there is a mix of working class housing. And then there's, of course, you know, more posh places. Uh, okay. It's always been that way in Kisilano. Apparently, there's always been this uneasy, like, are you from the east side of Arbutus? Mm-hmm. Or like, and there's co-ops and stuff. And so, but yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting to me that the late stage capitalism has actually um, conditioned people to believe that not having resources is a moral failing Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not enough that people already don't have this stuff, but it's like, then you've got the added judgment of like, oh, well, you don't have this because you must have done something wrong or like failed individually as a person. This po- couldn't possibly be re- the result of like, you know, 150 years of a system that prioritizes, mm. you know, landowners and capital above all. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so I, I really do hope it gets built and I've been sending all kinds of letters support and doing whatever I can to, to support them because, um, and, and, you know, you probably know this too, but, but it's, it's obscene how expensive it is to, to live in this city. And because the housing speculation just got yeah so overheated in the last 15, 20 years. And so, um, and it's the people that are sitting on those, those houses that are the ones that have the means to help and they refuse to. And that just, yeah, it's just shocking to me. Anyway. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's crazy. It's funny because I was actually thinking about this exact thing earlier. And um, in my mind, the root of the problem is that housing shouldn't be uh, an asset that you can speculate on. It should be something where, like, you know, um, the supply needs to be controlled by local governments by fixing the prices and say, yeah, no, you can't like this is where house prices end in this city. We're going to pass a law mm. that, you know, if you're selling a house in the city environs, it can't sell for more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And it's like, OK, so it's nothing preventing people from what is always being pitched as the benefits, quote unquote, of home ownership, which is like you have an asset, you've got equity, you're not, quote, throwing money away, paying rent was always the line. Mm. Right. But then yeah. conversely, it's not something where, oh, this is this is my retirement fund. I'm going to buy this house and this is an asset that will speculate and appreciate in value. And I can take that as a given, like and because I know that I can sell this at some point. And it's like, well, no, it needs to be treated fundamentally as a place that only only has value if there are people living in it. Mm hmm. Like that's the yeah. only way that that asset has any value is is as a home for people, not as you know land qua land or an investment mm-hmm. or whatever. And that would help a lot with. I mean, a huge part of the reason for the property prices in your city is money laundering. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, and, I, and, I, and I know the, that's not a secret, but <laughs> yeah, I mean that was and the former the liberal former former liberal government knew all about it and they did nothing and. Um, there are people, you know, like David Eby, who is, you know, he's he's our guy here in Kitsilano. I know he's doing his best to try and um, 
expose that for what it really was. It really was greed on the part of the former government, and they um, just turned a blind eye over and over again. Um, and so the suffering that that has caused, in addition to the the suffering caused by the by the fentanyl drug t- trade that was yeah. laundering money through a lot of these places, it just it, it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I agree with you. I think you know Vancouver has some amazing initiatives, a co-op housing initiative. Um, at its core, was a really smart thing to do. It's just unfortunately they didn't um, continue on with it, and now there's this big debate over some of the co-op housing that's uh, down around False, False Creek. The city's talking about maybe selling some of that land, and people are like, "Are you kidding? Like, we still need these places." And granted, some people have been overhoused that have stayed there for too long. That maybe had a three bedroom, and their kids have moved out. They should be moving into smaller spaces and letting families move in. Um, but uh, we, we have a friend who, we have multiple friends who live in co-ops, actually, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing if you can get in, but most of them totally. don't even have open wait lists right now. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would love to see more of that uh, being developed, uh, more kind of compassionate housing, and and more housing that, you know, it's interesting with this this, this piece in Kitsilano, there's another neighborhood, uh, Marple, where a friend who lives at a co-op not far from there when they were building social housing for people coming yeah. out of homelessness there, all these, you know, NIMBYs were like, oh, my God, you know, the children and uh, the drug addicts or whatever. And then an entire school of children put forward, like, um, like a statement, a public statement saying, right. we, the children, support this project yeah, yeah, yeah. because we believe people deserve housing. Right. Like, you guys are, dear parents, you're being assholes. <laughs> was basically the gist of it and i thought that's so great um so it'll be interesting to see because there's multiple schools around here which one of them if any of them come up with that or whether their parents have already conditioned them to believe that homeless people are (laughs) all uh awful but i don't think that's true i think that kids know intuitively that there's something really wrong with somebody having to sit on the corner on hard pavement and ask for money to eat lunch kids know that kids know that's fucked up yeah so this is what we've ended up going on into uh, well, that's to this okay. whole we're thing. Only, we're, only, we're only 27 minutes in. We can, uh, <laughs> we can still write this ship. Um, so, yeah, uh, spatial mm. awareness, body awareness, mm-hmm. the word that I know is proprioception. And I mm. was so stoked about 45 minutes ago because I was like, oh, man, my body awareness doesn't work like a normal person's does. I have inappropriation, and I was like, oh, I'm so goddamn clever. But it turns out that that's actually a separate <laughs> concept. Uh, uh. And then, yeah, so... But, you know, I, I, I had my little bit of hope there for inappropriation to be a, an original <laughs> coinage, but. <laughs> just make it up. We're just making up words. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so we've talked about this a little bit on the show before about kind of um, mm. both of us walking around feeling like uh, detached from our bodies uh, mm. for long portions of our lives meditation some of that kind of clumsiness other things but um yeah i guess uh did you want to start was there anything kind of in particular you wanted to cover on that angle or well i do have a recent experience and this is perfect um, why i thought it would be great to talk about it because on friday um, my partner and i were um, standing at the corner of uh, canby and broadway here in vancouver and uh, there used to be a series of about um I'd say half a dozen small trees along the sidewalk where there's a big 99B line, which is a big long bus that pulls up. And two of the trees have been cut down and they had small, um, you know, I guess however many inches that is high, maybe four inch high, or bright orange right. pylons over, nailed down on top of the stumps to clearly right. mark that these things had been removed. And I remember complaining to Osvaldo how ridiculous it was that they had cut down these trees. They didn't appear to be sick. Why the fuck did they cut down these trees? The 99 bus pulls up, and I proceed to move forward, catch my foot on the stump of the tree, crash down on my knees, coffee goes spilling everywhere. Because I was wearing gloves, my hands didn't get hurt. Yeah. But my right knee was, like, was swollen up like a football in black and blue and bruised. But what I find so fascinating about this is that I was cognitively aware of the peril of the thing that I was not supposed to trip over. Mm. And all it took was one distraction, one shift of my awareness from that thing on the ground that I should have been aware of 
to wanting to get on the front of the bus so I didn't have to go too close to other people because that's right. always the top of mind. And I tripped and like fell all, you know, like hurt myself. And the the upside of the story as well is that four different people came to make mm. sure that I was okay. So that renewed my, restored yeah. my faith in humanity. But that's like a spatial awareness. It's, it's spatial awareness, but it's also, um, it seems to me that it's a form of uh, executive dysfunction because mm. I cognitively just completely forgot that something w- that was there. Yeah, it's like a short-term memory thing as well as a physical spatial awareness. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's not an uncommon story in my life. I have scars um, throughout my cranium um, from the time I was a kid, always tripping over things. Um, and it would always be that pitch forward and <laughs> smacking my head on something. And, right. um, and certainly as an adult, many, many times falling down things and uh, and not knowing like, yeah, because I can orient myself in a space and say, okay, I, this is where I am. But then if something else comes into my awareness, I, that com- I completely forget. Right. Like even in my own house, I bump into walls. I'm I'm curious about something because um so I, I I talked before about how I largely understood myself as kind of clumsy and mm. a klutz and ungainly and all these other things and kind of now that I understand that I have ADHD um it's not that I don't have a connection to my body it's just that I need that needs to be my point of focus if I'm to get there and kind of like be able to if I want to perform quote unquote physically in some manner that just needs to Mm. I, I need to be kind of like vigilant about defending that presence of mind that this is the thing that I'm focusing on Mm. and so that's where certain activities like doing dance or things like that it's hard to get kind of distracted because I'm either focusing on like remembering uh, the choreography that I'm doing in a group or like just kind of feeling what's going on in my body and maintaining my balance if I'm doing something like improvised or whatever. Um, Mm. And, and so I've kind of like been thinking a lot about um, previous experiences kind of more through that lens of like, okay, no, I'm not clumsy. I just have to make sure that I don't get distracted. And that's, mm. I think, where a lot of that stuff is because a big classic for me is is tripping up the stairs and just like, you know, be walking up the stairs and I'll just eat shit and fall up like three or four stairs. And this is something like multiple times a week since I've been a child. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so, so, so common. And it happens less frequently now, not because... Mm. I'm well, I am more graceful, but that's a different story. But it's more because like, okay, no, these are the 10 seconds where you can't get distracted by thoughts right now because, you know, you're going up the stairs. Same as if you're dancing, you got to focus on that. Same as Mm. if, you know, you're um, uh, doing squats or whatever or lifting weights, you got to kind of focus on that and put your brain there. Same way as if I want to relax in the hot tub, I just have to kind of like put my brain and my body and enjoy the sensations and just like, okay, no, this is, this is within my reach. This is something that is as accessible to me as other people, but I just kind of have to defend it quote unquote more once I'm there. Mm, I love that idea of defending it once you're there, because that is precisely what my partner brought up at dinner last night when we were talking Mm. about my tripping incident. He said, what if you could just be more mindful and just focus on the space where you're at and the moment that you're in. And I, you know, been in enough mindfulness conversations and, you know, was part of a Buddhist collective and all that. And yeah, that, that is still something very elusive. So I really appreciate you saying that because it, it is kind of a matter of just having to say, okay, I'm in this space right now and to not allow myself to be distracted. Um, but it's also like something you know, as simple as walking down the street, part of what brings me tremendous joy is just the beauty of the world, right? Yes. So I can I can be distracted by a cherry tree or a crow or a hummingbird. And I don't want to lose I don't want to lose that about about this brain of mine. But I also recognize and because my partner was genuinely concerned because mm-hmm. he he saw that as the potential, you know, I could have broken something, it could have caused me a lot more harm. And he just doesn't want me to like, you know, be wandering around the world getting hit by things because I was hit. <laughs> I was hit by a car when I was a child, oh, wow. when I was seven years old, because of the spatial thing. I literally 
was with my brother and sister, my older brother and sister. We're crossing Richmond Street in London, Ontario, and they knew to stop at the island while the cars right. were whizzing by. I kept going because I was just like, I got momentum and I'm going. And I didn't even see the blue Mustang that like hit me in the leg and like sent me flying up in the air. And and now I, ha- I that story is like almost like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's like classic ADHD totally. child. Because both my brother and sister were like, why didn't you stop? <laughs> they just like they didn't understand it. Right. Um, so. I guess mindfulness is, uh, you know, it's definitely been on my mind more lately. To I have been meditating every day, but to just be present to safety, mm-hmm. right? Um, but yeah. it's it's so it's so interesting though because um, you I, I would not want to lose what you're talking about there for the world, which is that that joy of wandering around, um, especially outdoors, kind of like whether you're in the Mm -hmm. city or in nature, either way, but just kind of observing what's going on around you, just like looking Mm -hmm. at people, checking out birds or whatever, listening to sounds and just kind of like, yeah, it it, it can be very, very joyful. Um, And that's, I guess, where I'm, I'm not trying to pay like stairs levels of attention all the time. I'm more trying to treat it as like, okay, I know that this one, this particular area is a problem for me. So I have to kind of like mm. get into that, like pay attention to my body headspace. But, um, you know, task switching is hard for ADHD people. So if I'm having a conversation and then need to switch mm. gears for 15 seconds so I don't trip and then switch gears again, because as soon as I get upstairs to my office, I'm planning to write or whatever, like that's tough. So it's easier sometimes to keep thinking about the thought I was formulating while my coffee was brewing as I'm walking up the stairs because I'm about to write about it. But that's when I trip and eat shit and spill the coffee. (laughs) So I can like, so it's funny because I'm trying to take like a two pronged approach. The one prong is, is, try and have more awareness of what of what you're doing with your physical self at any given point and then the other part of is i've started brewing my coffee into a contigo thermos bottle instead of carrying a mug up that is spillable sloshable smashable i can eat (laughs) shit and drop this bottle and i might dent the hardwood or something but there's not going to be the same kind of like consequences Mm. so (laughs) yeah i like that that's some good awareness right that was like okay how many times do i have to spill coffee before i realize aha there may be a a workaround here yeah exactly (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, I think I know now I'm out of practice on transit because mm, of the, because of I haven't had a commute for several months now. So I haven't, I think I got into a rhythm with transit. So I knew that this is the time I have to be hypervigilant and I have to be aware of my surroundings. Um, and then I haven't ha- been doing that lately. So I think that's part of the reason that, um, that I was so like, I was like high alert for like seeing the front part of the bus because I didn't want to be around too many right. stranger danger breathing people. And, um, yeah. Uh, so I think our, my brain, I know gets out of practice on things, right. It's like anything else. So now I'll, I'll just be more vigilant and aware when I have to, you know, hop on the 99 B line for anything to, you know, look for the orange pylons <laughs> <laughs> and maybe don't get into one of an outrage, you know, how dare they cut down that tree thing? Because that of course is going to send me on a spiral outside of where yeah. I need to be, which is like right, right. in, in urban spaces, you know, I've grown up and lived in a lot of different urban environments and, you know, being hyper vigilant as a woman has always been there, right? Like I've just always known to just be on high alert, but I got out of practice just being at home all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really good way of looking at it, Jordan, is to just say, okay, so th- I'm going into this situation and I need to prep. I need to prep myself mentally for this. Like, okay, this is a high alert scenario. Even if it's you only know? short, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, but just like, and, and just kind of, but also though, I feel like there's a danger to kind of um, getting maybe too hyper vigilant and, and worrying too much um, and just mm. kind of like being able to draw that distinction. Like, I mean... So I, I like I live pretty near Fish Creek Park and I'll go out for mm. walks there on the trails and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll stick to the paved path. Sometimes I'll go off onto the mountain bike trails. And um, I I don't really worry about kind of I, I'm, I'm enjoying nature the way that you were talking about of like really kind of enjoying what's going on around me, not paying attention to my footfalls. And will I occasionally trip on a root and eat shit? Yes. But mm-hmm. that's like, OK, 
the trade-off there is that like, you know, I get to enjoy this activity. Whereas Hmm. Um, if I'm trail running, like I'll trail run on those same trails and that's the place where it's like, okay, the consequences for not paying attention are much more severe, but that activity is also a lot easier to get away from my thoughts and get into that kind of flow state of just like sensory input, um, uh, physical Hmm. response, feedback loop, and kind of like dodge the thinking and analysis process, um, yeah, it's interesting because mm-hmm. like that's I feel like that's part of also what I was chasing with booze was was quieting mm. that analysis and that editor and something. Mm. It's funny because like a place that I now identify as a place of flow state that's a maybe kind of like low grade uh, vulgar one is like um, getting very drunk and playing Guitar Hero. <laughs> <laughs> around like 2008 9 whatever that would have been um it's just like yeah you know it's just like i know this song because i've heard it over and over again for 20 years and like Mm. i've played this game before and there's nothing going on in here it's just eyeballs and fingertips for the next little while and that was very very fun so yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i remember those guitar hero days i never quite mastered it of course because um i didn't i Never really could get that. But it was funny because um, I was just talking about that last week uh, with a friend of ours that I, wouldn't it be fun to pick up a guitar and like take guitar lessons and maybe mm. something I need to do uh, is to be more tactile and maybe that would also help with like body awareness, right? Like mm. understanding like the position of my arms and fingers in relation to a guitar could help me build some neural pathways to that, mm. uh, to more um, sort of groundedness and rooting down. And so something to think about, but I also know with me, like a new hobbies yep. <laughs> uh, that I need to be uh, somewhat uh, careful about that um, uh-huh. because I could just see myself like, we're long in McQuaid, woohoo, like getting all excited, spending money I don't have to g- get a guitar and then watching it gather dust in the corner. I don't want to do that either, right? Um, on the other hand, yeah. though, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to encourage you to spend money you don't have on something you're not going to use. But it's interesting. Um, something that I figured out about myself, uh, probably 2017 or so that I'm now wondering if there's like a neurodivergence thing related to um, is just kind of how like a different perspective on music and instrumentation might resonate with your brain where like if you mm. if you try the guitar and you don't like it or whatever that doesn't mean that the guitar is not for you or that music's not for you but maybe you just need a different approach and for me an example with that is like piano so mm. i took a couple of years of piano lessons when i was a kid and i hated it and i recognize now that i hated the structure of it and not playing the piano I like playing the piano and I kind of wish I had that knowledge now but the 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 kind of like the the keyboard never really kind of made sense to me in terms of like voicing chords and kind of like the relative distance of the keys and all that kind of stuff like Mm. people would explain it to me I read the theory but it never just kind of clicked but then what actually did make this stuff click for me and made it so much easier to start writing music, um, not from a humming way, but actually from a like playing way was, um, when I stopped using a keyboard a few years ago, I bought one of those, uh, electronic drum pads where it's just Mm. 16 squares in a, in a bigger grid. Um, and understanding that like, okay, it's a 12 tone chromatic scale. That's just three rows of these. So it's just three rows of four squares. It's consistent. It's, static it's not like some of them are white some are black it's like uneven Mm. rows blah 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 and suddenly the relationship between notes made so much more sense to me just because of that change in kind of like arrangement and and the spatiality of it for whatever reason that really resonated with my brain and i've had so much more kind of fun and uh, Mm. uh a much more productive output too with writing music um partly as a result of that one little kind of change of just like the way that I approach the input of musical data. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because sometimes, especially with sound, and I'm noticing too because of my hearing loss, and you pointed this to me, um, is when there's a grid like in something like GarageBand for editing as opposed to Audacity, it's right. just easier for me to see things um, because I, you know, if I 
do edit something on Audacity, I, I mostly edit visually. Right. Um, and, I, I, you know, when things are, like, getting too high and spiked or whatever, then I can kind of tone it down. So I think it's interesting to think of that as a way of approaching music as a, as a visual medium as well. And, uh, yeah, that makes it so much more interesting. I wonder if that could if if that would apply for me um, for a guitar. I'm not sure. It's something it's definitely something to explore though. Because yeah. I always wonder about people who you see playing the guitar in a weird way, like Joni Mitchell or I think Kurt Cobain played. I know he's a lefty, but I think he played upside down or something like that too. And I always mm. kind of wonder, like you know, is that is that something because of like a physical limitation or a comfort thing, or is it because like it just makes more sense to their brain to approach it in a different way. The same way that I don't know if you heard this, but I got endless shit about holding my pencil incorrectly. And that did Mm. not stop me from change or that did not change it. I continue to this day to hold my pencil in a way that cramps my hand. I know it's Mm -hmm. actually like suboptimal, but it's the only way that makes sense to me. And I'm just, I'm fucking stubborn about it. So (laughs) It's still the same with pens and pencils. And you know what else? Chopsticks. Somebody oh, yeah, tried yeah, doing yeah. that once with me, chopsticks. And it was somebody I was, I, I remember this because it was somebody I was dating in New York. It was very early on. And he tried to give me some feedback on the chopstick thing. And I was like, I'm, I wasn't having it. <laughs> I was like, I don't think if you're going to be doing this, I don't think we're going to, this isn't going to work yeah. for me. <laughs> but yeah, like the, boundaries, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, um, the, like once we figure out something that works for us, it's really hard to undo yeah. it. And maybe it's not even necessary to undo it, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the thing too, is that is um, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, uh, Renee Brooks on Black Girl Lost Keys is that she says um, the simplest way is the best way because if you try to create a complex system with your ADHD mind, you won't stick to it. So why not right. just do the simple thing? And the thing that is actually working for you, no matter what anybody else says, as long as you're not causing yourself harm or anybody else harm, then, then, you know, my mind too is like, go for it. Like I just, I organized my desk um, in a way that works for me this weekend. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, like it's just something so simple that I just have Mm -hmm. to keep it super simple because if I try to do something more complex, my little... My little head can't handle it. My little brain is just like, <laughs> no, we're not doing that, right? Like, um, and I, it's nice to starting to, you know, what is it? Like mid-November I got diagnosed. So mm-hmm. um, just starting to uncover some of the things that are working and aren't working, you know, after that sort of initial flush of research, which I'm still doing a lot of. But right. um, understanding, too, that something that might work for a 25-year-old uh, with ADHD wouldn't necessarily fit my life and where I'm at right now. Right. So, you know, um, and like, but the, the body stuff too, um, I was going to ask you something else. I wrote it down. Not, what is it? Um, postural sway. Have you heard of this? No, but, um, I posture has been at the forefront of my mind lately because I'm going through some real shit with my arm right now, but, uh, go ahead. Mm. Okay, so um, it's basically like your center of gravity, right? So like how you move kind of vertically in your in your center or horizontally, I should say. Mm. <laughs> and um, it's, you know, if you're somebody who's like a snowboarder or a skateboarder, like they would have a really keen um, and a very stable um, postural sway. But mm. apparently uh, folks with ADHD, ours is kind of can often be quite off. And, mm. and this is one of the reasons that we lose our balance um, quite uh, easily and it has something to do with the, you know, with our brain structures. But I remember many years ago when my folks had one of those Wii games and they used to play all those, you know, dumb little things mm-hmm. on it or whatever. And I would struggle so much. There'd be like some, you know, thing I was supposed to do or whatever. And my mom would be like, this is easy. Why can't you do this? And I would be like, like, like almost falling over. And, and I remember thinking at the time, I must be somehow like really, really flawed, but now I'm starting to understand this could be, there's a, a really strong correlation between postural sway and, um, and ADHD. And it's why I never pursued like, you know, my, my folks have been heavily involved in uh, swing and 
dancing for years and my brothers are world champions and they mm. were always like Robbie well, why don't you get on the dance floor get on the thing do the thing and I'd get out there and be like eh. <laughs> like just kind of like I couldn't do it I mean a lot of it was country music so that was another reason that I didn't do it but um uh, sorry I do like old school country music I should just state that just not <laughs> not not the new stuff um anyway so I'm realizing now that one of the reasons that I couldn't do that was the was the um the postural sway piece in my my center of gravity so somebody mm. would be trying to lean me lead me to go do something and, and I couldn't do it I'd lose my balance and um so yeah it could be something to look into but I'm curious about what your arm is telling you is that like a carpal tunnel thing or something else? well so there's a bunch of stuff kind of going on with that mm. and um part of it is posture so for a very long time I had a different uh chair that was a kind of a classic computer chair and it had these arms and I would rest with my elbows on my arms and that just kept my elbow cocked at a shitty angle um, and mm. really irritating it. So I kind of became aware of that like about this time last year um, and did some stuff to fix that. But then I'm realizing also that there's all these other things about how my desk is set up and how mm. I sit and a lot of my kind of like default body positions that I go to without even realizing it are just they are fucking horrible for mm. my hips for my spine for my shoulders for my wrists for my elbows like I sit with my hand on my thigh and my elbow cocked outward like this is a very common like thinking and concentrating thing and it's just rotator cuff and elbow tendons nightmare it's just absolute mm. dog shit and um I uh another version of that is especially in situations like this where I'm talking to someone, if I've got, I'll usually have paper notes in front of me to make a note as I'm going and then my keyboard position further back. But then what I'm doing is I'm laying or I'm sitting with my arm stretched all the way out like this so I can be alt tabbing on my keyboard while I'm talking. And again, mm. like holding that hyper extension in this awful position for like 45 minutes or whatever, it just absolutely wrecked it. And then... Mm. All of the kind of body weight stuff I've been doing has been generally very good for my arms and shoulders, but um, that has been exacerbating it. And I've been a little bit stubborn about stopping it and giving my body the rest I need until I recover from that injury because I fear about backsliding and losing all the progress that I've made. So, yeah. Yeah, um, that's something I came across and I didn't do a deep dive on it, but apparently um, it's really common for ADHD folks. And I do this too, of like, of just pretzeling myself at the computer. <laughs> like, I don't know, as well as come in sometimes and he's like, what are you even doing? And I'll just be like in the weirdest position on my chair and just like this. And um, I, I just had to pick up a carpal tunnel brace because I was starting to get it again after years mm. of it not really bothering me. It started again like two months ago um, because the old chair that I had didn't have adjustable um, armrests. And so I was doing very similar to what you yeah. were doing, like holding it at this odds place. But the chair that I have now is excellent. Um, and I, I can position myself in a way that I think is probably not causing me too much harm. Um, right. But I also, you know, um, way back got a standing desk as well that I can kind of alternate back and forth to. But I haven't been lately because of the fatigue I've been experiencing. Mm. Um, but it is really interesting that we are so separated from our bodies sometimes. We don't even know, right? Like we're just sitting there like in this like painful position yep. and we don't even know to just move. Like we're just like. <laughs> so, okay. So a couple things I've been thinking about that are kind of corollary to that. Um, so a mental note I made when we were talking, when I was kind of talking about how I think of this stuff as not a clumsiness or a physical ungainliness, but a concentration and a distraction problem. Mm. And a, something that I wonder about um how were you, did you ever have to do like spatial relation tests and things like that as part of IQ tests or anything like that as a kid? Like, okay, mm. take this shape and flip it over once on this axis and once on this axis and circle the one that it is. I don't remember doing those, um, but that doesn't mean that they weren't in there somewhere. Right. Um, but I think the spatial neglect is something apparently left brain uh, with ADHD, I just saw oh, that in okay. some of my in some of my travels earlier today when I was just oh, searching for things, because um, I I know that um, yeah I've I've never really quite understood my orientation in relation to other people, but mm. like what you're talking about is like spaces on pages, which is 
yeah abstract thing. space yeah like like spatial abstraction i guess is kind of um because that, that's what's interesting is that you know a lot of adhd people and a lot of autistic people rank very highly on uh, iq tests and mm. a big part of that is those kind of being able to recognize patterns, being able to follow sequences and extrapolate those sequences outward. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that kind of spatial reasoning. Um, but then I was kind of thinking about like, okay, so I have, I have excellent abstract spatial reasoning skills. How do I justify that with that physical ungainliness and clumsiness? And it's, again, mm. I'm concentrating on this task of abstraction. And that's a mm. thing that, again, I read about, especially ADHD people is that, we often won't get diagnosed because we ace these tests that mm. are trying to determine if we have ADHD because we're hyper-focusing on them and able to like do them really well or whatever. Right. Um, ah. So kind of a yeah. similar thing where it's like all of my brain's resources are going into flipping this shape over however many times. So it makes sense that I would be able to do that because I'm good at anything that I can kind of get the interest in and the concentration to kind of focus on with that level mm -hmm. um but yeah but but that doesn't necessarily kind of carry over into like the day-to-day -day tasks especially mm. if there's other more things going on in your brain excuse me other more interesting <laughs> things going on in your brain <laughs> yeah and i and i do remember getting an an iq test i think in grade six or something and um, scoring fairly high on it and my mom sitting me down with a guidance counselor, somebody from the school and saying, mm. so there's really no reason for you not to be thriving, right? Like mm. you should be getting way better grades than what you're getting. Like this isn't, and, and it motivated me a little bit, but I don't remember the test. And I think I did another one maybe in my mid teens, uh, again, scoring fairly high on it. And again, that conversation, like, you should be doing well. Why aren't you doing right. well? Like, and then thinking that me knowing that I had um, mental capacity would somehow motivate me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, motivating a 15-year-old undiagnosed uh, ADHD person coming from a lot of uh, challenging home environments probably, yeah, wasn't going to work without, um, without my cooperation. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... the um, the awareness in space too. My counselor brought up something, and I want to look into it more. Um, maybe time for another conversation. But um, he said that he sees a pattern with many of his clients with ADHD, where they feel like in physical spaces they have to get right up to the edge of it something to know they're oriented in it. And hmm. um, and I want to kind of maybe put a pin in that and explore it in a different way because I think. He may have been talking in a more abstract sense, but then I, in the conversation, started talking about my fear of heights and we went in another direction. But it's still, that idea has kind of stuck with me. Like, do you feel like that? Like, if you're in a physical space, do you, ha like, do you have to be up against the edge of everything to know where you are That's in interesting. it? interesting. Um, not specifically the edge. Um, one thing that I recognize about myself that's atypical um, is that I, I, so I'm, I'm not claustrophobic and I in fact kind of like enclosed spaces and maybe that's part mm -hmm. of, um, knowing kind of like there's a security to a kind of closed space, but then also mm -hmm. AJ was talking a little bit about, um, being able to think better in, um, you know, a kind of low ceiling red light environment or whatever his specs were. That's what I remember of it. And mm. now I'm recognizing both of those things as kind of low stim environments where I can get thinking done or, you know, be isolated or whatever. Um, sorry, what was the question that started me talking? I literally forgot. Um, do you feel like you have to get to the edge of things? Yes. No. Before okay. you know but yeah. A version of that for me um, that my parents always pointed out and laughed about was a big family in-joke, well, my whole life, because it still happens, is that wherever we are, I got to know where the washroom is and I got to use mm. it. Like, even even if I don't have to pee, it's like, I'll I'll make an excuse to use the washroom, I'll, I'll go to wash my hands or I'll go blow my nose or something, because I just, like... I don't need to know where the edges of the room are or whatever, but I gotta, I gotta know what that space, where that space is. And I gotta find that. So, yeah. <laughs> I do the exact same thing. So maybe this is yeah. an ADHD over prep thing because something again, mm. that I never understood about myself is 
I'm a smart person. Surely I should know when I'm hungry. Surely I should know when I'm thirsty. Surely I should know when I have to pee. But then it's like, I don't, I'm not aware I have to pee until I'm on the verge of pissing my pants a lot of the time. And so maybe this is like a preparation hypervigilance system that I created for myself is always knowing where the washroom is because I know I got to get there in like 45 seconds to, sometimes because it's going to be if it hits right <laughs> yeah I mean I had I had a lot of issues um with uh bladder stuff when I was a kid um mm-hmm. and I think that may have had something to do with with that kind of hypervigilance um because uh I wouldn't know that I had to go and I would you know I'm I'm okay with saying this now but I went to bed until I was 14. Sure. Um, wow. Because I didn't I didn't know like I'd go to bed having to go to the bathroom and not Right. And even if my parents were like go to the bathroom and I'd go to the bathroom and I have to go to the bathroom <laughs> and then and like and, you know but um it's uh that's something um that I think has just kind of been ingrained with me ever since like wherever I go in the world the first thing I orient is where the restrooms are just in case <laughs> right um, totally. yeah um and, and now and just as we're talking about it i realize like what some of the thinking is behind that right is because like i don't have to go now but boy when i do get out of the way right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and so we're coming up on an hour of chatting and i think this mm-hmm. is really great i think we've um you so helped me a there's... lot today. I didn't. I didn't realize this conversation would be so helpful for me. So thank you. Oh, yeah. really? Great. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one more thing that I, I'm very, very curious about before we get off the subject, just because this is something that has been another thing along with my shoulder forefront of mind for me lately. Um, so my jaw is fucking hurting, and mm. it's because I think that I clench my teeth and clench my mm. jaw when I'm concentrating and when I'm doing particular kinds of work. Um, and I was reading a little bit, I don't have the information in front of me, but there seems to be some sort of link between jaw tension and TMJ issues, which is your like, I think transmandibular joint or something. I had mm-hmm. TMJ issues when I was a kid, wore the cartilage right off. Like my, if I yawned too wide, my jaw would click and there was like, like the pain would be so severe that I would black out sometimes oh, and just like goodness. collapse. Um, but apparently that's actually correlated with ADHD. There's a bunch Mm. of like double jointedness, kind of cartilage related things. Um, Mm. so I'm curious if that's a thing for you at all. It's like jaw stuff. Uh, I don't feel so much of the jaw stuff, but bruxism, bruxism has always been an issue for me, grinding my teeth at night. So, um, I started wearing a mouth guard again after years of not wearing one. Um, but I, I do get, my jaw gets really sore and, uh, something that I read about, not necessarily related to ADHD, but pandemic related. Uh, mm. The dentists uh, throughout the world, probably, but mostly in North America, have seen an uptick of people coming in with cracked teeth um, because people are clenching their jaws so tightly. Um, so you might not even know that, you know, depending on how much uh, the world news you're consuming on any given day, that you're, you're probably clenching your teeth. Um, and when you're, like you just said, when you're focusing, right? So, um, it might be a good idea, you know, going to the dentist, I know is expensive, but uh, to see if you can get a mouth guard. You can also get... Um, um, yeah, I was just going to go and get like a, a football mouth guard, just a little cheapy rugby guy or whatever, if I'm working right. on certain kinds of tasks. <laughs> yeah, you can you can get them at um, like London Drugs or Shoppers Drug Mart or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, my partner wears one too. And it just, it just helps when you're sleeping, but maybe it's a good idea to have it when you're awake too. Um, and that could be something for you to kind of bring some of that mindfulness to like, are you clenching your jaw? And like, um, because yeah, like I, I actually talked to a former colleague like months ago and she was so stressed out. She's a fundraiser mm. that she had cracked two of her teeth from gnashing her teeth in meetings. Like she was gnashing her teeth. She was so stressed out by her colleagues. And I was like, uh, I don't know if that's really good for you. No <laughs> you shouldn't kidding. have to She's gnash your teeth in a meeting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what I know about that is like the, the dental guards do help with that, you know, relaxing your jaw yeah. if you can do it. Cause I used to, I used to do this a lot. I still do it sometimes, mm-hmm. but cause, cause I could feel my teeth starting to kind of go together and I'd have to kind of, uh, uh, uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And breathe. I think in the meantime, I'm going to start chewing gum again too. Yeah. Just, well, if that helps. Yeah. I haven't chewed but gum at least, in years. At least I'm moving my jaw. So like I'm, I'm 
I feel like that'll scratch the itch of feeling like I need to move it or tense it somehow, but is hopefully less destructive. So yeah, I, I like chewing gum. So <laughs> yeah, and you've got good teeth. So yeah, keep on taking care of those because that's uh, that's a real gift in today's world <laughs> with everybody cracking their teeth due to all the stress out there. Good grief! Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD. Subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at uh, anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at, you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Speaking of pages, if you'd like even more from Robbie and Jordan, there are personal essays, ADHD resources, book reviews, and a discussion post for each episode and mini-sode over on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash holy shit I have ADHD. Bye for now, and hyper-focus on the positive. (laughs) 